If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at a few of these, um, these, great, th- these, these great passages and, and talk about how we're supposed to use them. Um, I'm fairly certain tonight that the Psalms have to be the most beloved book in the Bible. That may be arguable for some, but if you've lived very long and gone through much stuff, Uh, The Psalms are a lifeline for God's people, and he knew life would get hard, and he provided these things. But I'm afraid sometimes that we we clinicalize them, we clean them up, and we use them as, uh, I don't know, teaching a few things, and you need to learn how to use them as scripts for your life. Uh, But uh, the only Old Testament book that for years and years was published along with just a New Testament, you know, the New Testament is the one that... uh, that, that pertains most closely to us, the New Covenant. And yet, if you got any old Bibles that were just New Testament, often they added one Old Testament book to it, and that was Psalms, right? There's just something about those things that were beloved and people wanted, uh, wanted to have them. Most of the Bible is God inspiring people to write us to us about him. But the Psalms is God inspiring people to write for, to, uh, about him to us, right? Or write f- uh, for him, to him, on our behalf. And it's almost like if you've seen a commercial, uh, politicians will, will, uh, will have these commercials about how great they are and the wonderful things they've done. And it's now by law, they have to come on themselves and say, I am so-and-so and I approve this message. I'm standing beside this. I'm taking responsibility for what this says. Here's what God is saying in the book of Psalms. He's saying, this is, I approve of you talking to me this way. I, w- I wanna give you permission to use these kinds of prayers to speak to me. And some of them are very raw and some of them are very honest and blunt with God. Uh, these, these extreme emotions that I feel and I don't know what to do with them, these are like scripts God's people have used for generations. Believers of every generation have gone through these seasons of difficulty and God like says, I wanna give you my, my condoned, approved uh, way of bringing those things that." maybe knock you speechless to me. It's the longest book in the Bible, 150 of them, really long, including the longest chapter in the Bible, 119. Oh man, that goes on and on and on like a Sunday morning sermon, right? It's long. Um, And they uh, they all, they have five sections. There's five sections of these, uh, of Psalms. And each section ends with a, a Psalm of doxology and then opens up another one. Um, some of them have headings, some of them don't. Uh, David wrote 73 of them. The sons of Korah wrote 11 of them. Solomon wrote two. Moses wrote one, Psalm 90. And then some of them are just anonymous. Some of them have, um, some of them have the circumstances, the headings, uh, specific circumstances that led to the writing of those, which is really insightful. It helps us to put it into the, where does this fit in the Bible history? Some of them don't. Some of them are generic, which are kind of helpful too. I don't know what the psalmist uh, was experiencing that made him uh, talk this way to God, but it opens up the way to me to bring my circumstance and put in there and feel confident I can do that. Um, there's songs um, that have some little instruction 
uh, in some of them. Uh, this next screen is going to show you what some of the common words were. Uh, uh, scholars think this mismore is on some of them. You'll see that the heading or somewhere in it. It means it's accompanied by an instrument. Obviously, they were. They sing about that instrument. I'm going to pick up the harp and I'm going to play it. Miktam uh, was particularly for atonement days. So Miktam was like an atonement song. Salah, you'll see this a lot in the middle of the Psalms themselves, and it means the singing stops and the instruments continue. There's an instrumental part by itself. I know Church of Christ people are like, ah, but you know, it's kind of that way. In fact, it was funny, let's see, I have to say this, it's hilarious that uh, we had a couple baptisms today. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I just did it, so I, I spoiled it, I guess. Um, uh, see, so who was it? Um, Lindley, uh, um, and Barrett, yeah. Now, I was thinking of Lindley's last name, uh, Thomas, and, and Barrett Leblong. So they, they were baptized, but the thing about the Leblongs was they were waiting for some people to get here, some friends that were coming, and the friends called. We, Melissa and I were over here, and just cracked me up. Friends called, we, we think we're there. We're up in the auditorium by the piano. And I'm thinking, no, you're not there. You are not there. They accidentally went to Central Baptist instead. So, I mean, no, you're, you're not going to see them. Uh, so, you know, but Alamot, that means a soprano. Maybe there was a soprano lead in that song. It's, we don't know these for sure, but that's kind of what they've guessed. But these were actually songs. It's their songbook. And so those kinds of notes are in there. We have all sorts of instruction in our songbook that I have no idea what they mean either, right? I just say something on there, and I'm like, I have no idea what that, what that means. Somebody does. Um, it's a book of poetry meant to be read as poetry. And the emotions are supposed to be included in this. It causes them to have this universal appeal. There's, there's certain features of it, like uh, if you go to Psalm 1, uh, this is parallelism. I love this stuff. This is just kind of fun, but I don't want to get too academic with this, but two lines in a row that really mean the same thing, but he uses different words just in case you didn't get it the first time. So in chapter 1, verse 5, Therefore, the wicked will not stand the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, God's not going to put up with them. Two lines. They mean the same thing, but he uses different words. The opposite thing in verse 6 when it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's the exact opposite. And it gives you an understanding that God's not going to put up with one of them. There's, there's also metaphors that are used here. Acrostic are one of the neatest things. This is where the first line starts with the first letter of the alphabet. The second line goes to the second. You might have done this in grade school when you were bored with your teacher or the preacher, and you'd start writing poetry like this. So you've got Psalm 29. Turn to Psalm 29, if you would. Psalm 29 has 11 verses. Uh, each verse has two lines in it, and, and if you were reading this in Hebrew, it would go verse 1, A, B, starting those lines, uh, verse 2, C, D, E, F, G, H. It's just saying that, that, that we're going to cover the gamut, right? We're going to cover the entire alphabet. Psalm 29 is the thunderstorm psalm. When you see the word Ascribe to the Lord, it's the voice of the Lord is when it thunders. And so this was inspired by a thunderstorm. And so as they're watching a thunderstorm in ancient Israel, they were thinking that's the power of God, much like we have a song, right? We have a song that mentions this. I don't know if you know this song. Well, we've sung it here before. When you, when you see a thunderstorm, you think the power of God. And so the psalmist was doing that. The voice of the Lord, boom. And, and you read this, and it brings some sort of uh, spiritual significance to the storm. That's an interesting thing. But the 11 verses, two lines each, starts with successive letters of the alphabet. They just love to do this. Psalm 119 
is an acrostic, a huge acrostic. And there are other ones like this too. They just wanted to say God is like in everything from A to Z. And I feel pretty confident that we all have our favorites or maybe favorites at certain times in our lives, right? The content would cover many things. Like for instance, it would be um, hymns of praise to God. I think that's next, is that next screen? Yeah, oh yeah, keep going. Okay, so hymns of praise to God like numbers uh, 145 to 150 or Don Smith's favorite, I think it is Psalm 100. It is like a psalm of praise about how you enter uh, worship with God. There's individual thanksgiving. I as an individual, it's a person writing just for themselves, speaking just for themselves, Psalm 18 and Psalm 30. A lot are communal laments. We've done some of these. We've had occasion to do this where the entire community comes together and we together lament. It's not always meant to be that we sing, sing and be happy. Sometimes, sometimes we need to lament together and the psalmist gives you plenty of scripts for that. There's individual laments. The individual's going through a difficulty. This has nothing to do with anybody else, but for some reason, God saw fit to put it into the uh, songbook of Israel. There are certain songs in our songbook that probably describe realities that you never experienced, but somebody did. And for some reason, it touches us, and we sing it. Years I spent in vanity and... How many of you spent years not caring that God sent his son to die for you? Did... Is there anybody that never, you didn't spend any years doing that? Has everybody had a lost wild, sowing your wild oats thing before you? Or were, were you raised in the church and you always cared? Well, that song, in a certain sense, doesn't apply to you. But we sing it because it applies to somebody. So these communal and, and, and individual laments, there's enthronement psalms, there's the famous Psalm 2 that's that way. Communal thanksgiving, where we're just like, man, we gotta, as a church, be thankful to God for answered prayers that are so obviously sitting among us in the pews. And then those wisdom psalms. Um, Psalm 1, Psalm 78 talking about reviewing Israel's history and saying, what did we learn from this? How can we be wise? If I were choosing a memory verse, because I always do when we do this, the memory verse would be Psalm 1. You'd think Psalm 23, but it's not. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, I think, is a preface for the entire book. Psalm 1 describes if you cooperate with what this book is trying to teach you, this is what your life will end up like. How many, show of hands, memorize Psalm 1 sometime in your life? Raise your hand. How many know Psalm 23? Used to be everybody did. At funerals, I was taught this, you know, like at the grade side. You know, sometimes it's good just to have everybody quote Psalm 23, and it's getting fewer and fewer of people that can do that. Used to be everybody would quote it with you. Now I'm noticing I'm doing a solo. People just don't memorize this anymore. But here's Psalm 1. If you know it, quote it with me, right? This is the King James Version. This is the only version you should read Psalm 1 in. Psalm 23 should never be translated in any other thing than King James, right? I mean, it's just, right. So here we go. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Even if you don't know it, read it with me, okay? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. 
The ungodly are not so, for they are like chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly should not stand the judgment of sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, for the ungodly should perish. That's too fast, but yeah, amen, right? That's Psalm 1. Everybody should memorize it. You know, uh, we teach our kids, don't, don't walk this way, don't stand this way, don't sit here. Watch where you're sitting. Where are you sitting matters. Psalm 1, if you cooperate with the entire book of Psalms in your meditations and in your prayers and in your songs, you will end up being the godly person. And how do you meditate on his word day and night? Singing them, reviewing them in your head, and you'll be like that tree planted by the rivers of water, and you'll never, never thirst, and you'll always produce fruit. That's what he wants to do in this. All right, so three things about Psalms. One, by the way, anybody want to yell out a number of your favorite one? Psalm 1? You just did that because we quoted it, Gary. That's why you just did that. It was easy. No, Psalm 1. Who else? 86? Okay. Prayer of Dave, okay. 103. I love 103. We're going to make reference to that in a minute. Psalm 19, we're going to make reference to that one. I love that one too, okay? Anybody else? 139, that's a good one, because you think you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't you, Trey? Yeah, you think so. You are, that's right. You were knit together. You were a knit. You're a crochet project, right? No, that's great. I love that. Anybody else? Okay, let me just throw out a challenge here. When you really down is there one psalm you go to nobody i hope to change your mind about how that's how it's supposed to work right all right so number one psalms provide a script for the speechless when life renders you speechless you have nothing to say but you have strong feelings and you don't know what to do with them the psalm shows you what to do with them Maybe your hearts are made numb, your emotions seize your brain to where you can't think straight, you feel dumbed, dumbed by the situation. The Psalms is a tested and tried method of facilitating this approach to God. Whatever you do, don't stop talking to Him. Whatever you do, Psalm 88 is the roughest one of all of them because there is no hope. It ends with the word darkness. It's like there's nothing. I see no hope. I'm just, I'm hopeless and it's drudgery and this is never gonna change. It's always gonna be this way. And you're looking at that and you're going, my goodness, this is so depressing. Yes, it is. But he's continuing to talk. He's continuing to sing out to God. And the one thing you must not do is shut down your communication. Whatever you do, don't quit coming to church. Whatever you do, don't stop talking to God. Whatever you do, keep singing. Keep singing. That's the only thing, that, that's the one thing you can do that will absolutely send you into some spiritual, really, really dangerous territory is if you stop. So uh, you would have... Um, you can borrow some words. Maybe you're a feeler, but you're not a wordsmith. Melissa says this to me all the time. You, you, I have no problem, it seems like, writing out words. She says, I have lots of feelings, but I, I don't have a gift with words. I get what she's saying. What the psalmist says 
is you have the feelings, here's the words. If you need to learn it, go to Psalm 22. By the way, believers through the generations have all gone to Psalm 22. Jesus went to Psalm 22. He didn't come up with new, brilliant words of revelation from the cross. Instead, he borrowed some from David. And then we get the idea from 2 Timothy chapter 4 as Paul is winding down his career, his last words. All these words come out of his mouth that are Psalm 22 words. And the reason is, while he's in a jail cell and he can't get out there and preach to who he wants to, what he's doing is he's reviewing Psalm 22 in his dire circumstances and it comes out of his mouth. It's an amazing thing. What's he doing? He's doing what generations of believers who were in dire straits did and still do today. They go to Psalm, they open up Psalm 22, and they start praying praise things are good not just things are good you feel a closeness to God sometimes and we all know there are seasons when you don't we'll talk about that in a minute but you feel close to God Psalm 103 is rich with all this sort of imagery let me count the ways it's like a it's like count your blessings name them one by one only he actually names them let me let me think of all the benefits. Heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things. And so I'm ending up in a praise, Psalm 103. Fear, Psalm 46. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the seas, your entire world is turned upside down and thrown in the ocean. You're about to drown. You're about to suffocate. You don't know where your next breath's coming from. And yet, be still and know that I am God. We used that in a funeral a couple weeks ago. Anger. I want you to look at Psalm 137 with me. This is one... You'll never hear quoted at church. It will never be the scripture reading for Sunday morning. This guy is ticked off, deeply, deeply angry at being taken into captivity, away from God's temple, away from Jerusalem. And this is how he ends it. Verse 7 of Psalm 137. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. I want you to remember... God, what they're doing, and be against them. The day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations, and they ripped it. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed be he who repays you with what you've done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Don't read that on Sunday morning scripture reading and have everybody say amen at the end of it. It's called an imprecatory psalm. There are a few of these. You know he's mad, right? Can you tell? And it's weird. It's like, how do, we almost like, well, you shouldn't say that. Yes, you should, but you should say it to one person, one person only, and it's him. That's the safe place to say this. So when people tell you you shouldn't be angry as a Christian, that's a bunch of baloney. You're going to be, and God already knows it. Here's the thing you do. Instead of going and telling them off, Find you a safe place. Go talk to your creator and tell on them. Tattle. Tattle and come up with colorful ways you'd like God to treat them. What would you like God to do with their kneecaps? Be colorful. Be creative. 
What would you like to do? Go ahead, do it. Whatever you do, you leave it there, but go ahead and say it. You're feeling it. God already knows it. You're not telling him anything he doesn't know. You're not informing him of anything. You're just expressing it. That's what the imprecatory psalms are for, and we feel very uncomfortable with them. But when you try to be a Christian and you know you're angry, and you say, I know I shouldn't be angry, so I'm going to act like I'm not angry. But you are angry. And you push it down deep, and you say, but I'm not. I'm the good Christian. I'm be nice to that person. And to their face, they're nice. But on the inside, you're boiling. you got to do something with it. And so God says, go ahead and give it to me. Confusion. You look at Psalm 73. We're just looking at a few of these. I promise we're not going to go all night reading Psalms, although I tell you what, I'd like to. Psalm 73. If you could underline a verse, here's the verse you underline. Verse, um, where am I? They went to church. Should be 17. Yes, there it is. Psalm 17, Psalm 73, 17. Uh, you'll notice uh, the first 16 verses he's a little mad at God because he goes to church every Sunday and yet he's just kind of struggling by and everybody else when he walks out of the church building everybody else who doesn't go to church everybody else who doesn't try to live faithful lives they're just going along just fine driving their nice cars going to their nice house doing their nice vacations but because he goes to church and he's a believer he doesn't have as much as and he's like what is this and this is a common theme in Psalms and Proverbs and he's getting bitter. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. So Trey, Trey is living a good, clean life, and it seems like there's no advantage to him. It seems like everybody else who doesn't is living any way they want to, and it's fine, right? I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I'd said I would speak this, I would be, have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. And he leaves, he goes into the sanctuary, he's reminded of reality, and he comes out, and verse 18 is like he does an about face, a 180-degree turn. Suddenly he's like, I'm so blessed. I feel sorry for the rest of the world who doesn't have this good thing to live on. Sometimes we're confused we need a trip to church. Psalm 73. Maybe you uh, need to know how to repent. Psalm 51 shows you how to repent. It's a beautiful thing. If you're just like, I know I need to express, but I don't know how to express it. Use Psalm 51. Go before God and repent of your sin. Maybe you've been betrayed, betrayed by somebody. Psalm 55 is your betrayal psalm. Maybe, maybe you have a time of sorrow, Psalm 23. It's just a great psalm. That's where we go. Maybe your life is dry. I want you to turn to Psalm 42 with me. As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. He's crying all day long. He's crying all day night. He's not eating. He's not drinking. We, as the deer pants for, right? As the deer pants for the water. You know what this psalm is about? I'm thirsty and I'm hungry for him, but I don't feel his presence at all. I go down to the stream and it's dry. 
Anybody ever experienced a dry season like this? Now maybe you have in your life, I don't get this. Well, this psalm will not mean much to you, but for those of you who have, it kind of goes in here and it, it, it's interesting. All day long, where's your God? I remember as I pour out my soul how I'd go with the throng of people and lead them in procession to the house of God. He's out in the woods. He's running from Saul probably here, and he can't go to the temple anymore, and he can't hear the congregational singing anymore, and he can't hear the scripture reading, and he doesn't get greeted by all the crying babies. And he misses it. And it's part of the dryness he feels. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And he asks this over and over again, verse five. And then he says it again in verse 11. Another chapter, he goes on, he says it again. Why are you cast down on my soul? And he starts talking to himself, trying to figure out what's wrong. And there's nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. But he's just got to remind himself. But then, hope in God. Here's the interesting thing. He asks himself so many questions about why this is happening, but then he turns around and preaches to himself. It's okay to go through a season of asking your heart questions. Oh, my soul, what's going on with you? But don't forget to preach it yourself too because there's some things you know that are true even when you don't feel like they're true at the moment. And you wanna preach it yourself. So go ahead and preach it yourself. It's one thing. Listen, you think you've had long sermons at my, you know, me up here? I've had long sermons of my own. It's been terrible. Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So you go through those dry seasons like that, there's a psalm. Number two about this. It gives us insight into some historical moments we would never have known. And this is my, as a historian, I love this. For instance, if you'll turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David when Nathan confronted him. You're a sinner, boy. God knows it. David confesses his sin. Now, here's my question for you, because it looks like this. That year, it was some time, like a year, nine months to a year, between David sinning with Bathsheba and repenting. A whole year where he did a bunch of cover-up. The man after God's own heart, no less. Do you think he was footloose and fancy free having fun? Do you think he was just enjoying life going, oh, God, I don't care what God thinks of me. Is that what you think was happening? Because you know what? It looked like it. You know, he was going to the theater and watching movies, and he was going to these different things and these public ribbon cuttings for all these businesses in Jerusalem, and he was carrying on the business of king. But Psalm 51 tells you what was going on inside of him. And I just see a couple of things here. Psalm 51 Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression. My sin is always before me. Not one minute of peace did he get in those months. Purge me with hyssop, I'll be clean. Wash me with wider than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice, verse eight. What does that sound like to you? You see, in that time, we might think, well, he's just thinking he's getting away with it. He was, his conviction was absolutely strangling him. God had his hand against him, and he was feeling the heat. This is what happens when Christians sin and hide it. But you wouldn't have gotten that just from the story. 
What about David on the run from his son? Psalm number three. We have a song that I love, but I could never lead. Um, well, that's about every song there is, but I just... Um, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Absalom did a coup attempt. You remember this? And he did. He took over the throne, and David had to march out of the city. O Lord, how many are my foes? My family has turned against me. Many are rising against me, not only my family, but my community. This, I, he was the most popular king, right? He would be the most popular king ever, but for a time right here, he lost his popularity. The ratings went, right? Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation in him from God. There, he is just he is just forsaken by God. He doesn't have a role at all. And suddenly everything that before he had his confidence in, what made him confident and bold and even arrogant was his family, was his kingship, was his popularity with the people. It was all giving him such confidence and now it's all gone. And he's hanging his head and he's walking out of town. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me the glory my glory you are my glory not my family not my kingship not my popularity you're my glory and that hasn't changed you're the lifter of my head the lifter of my head most people who are really confident in themselves kind of have this you know nose in the air thing his head was ducked and guess who was lifting his head God was I hope that what lifts your head is not all these secondary blessings of your life I hope the great thing that gives you confidence and joy and peace in this world and lifts up your head and gives you such confidence and peace is God and God alone because otherwise you will lose it God's the lifter of your head that was happening as David was leaving for his son. David once acted insane to escape the Philistine king. You remember that in 34? He gives a whole psalm about what he felt about that. And then there's this section called the Psalm of Ascents, which is um, Psalm 120 through 34. This is as they ascend to go in Jerusalem for worship. It's either when any of the Israelites who are going to Jerusalem for the three times a year festivals, or when the Israelites were going back to Jerusalem after years of captivity. And they sang these songs as they took the steps closer and closer to Jerusalem. And you get, you get a songbook of their travel. And that's rich stuff, and that's history. If you get a chronological Bible, one of the great things about it is it'll put those psalms right where they belong in that history. And it just makes them pop. Suddenly you realize, ah, oh, that's what he's referring to. Third one, last one. The Psalms demonstrate for us a rich value of singing in our life. Their poetry is important, how that communicates. It mentions so much about meditation and songs allow truth to carry on the wave of tune and stay in your head. You don't just remember the tune, which is very like an earworm, But when you hear the tune, the words come too. And they go into your head, but also down to your heart in the quickest way possible. So let me hum something to you, right? We don't usually hum at church, but here we go. 
What what did I just say? Amazing grace, right? And you you heard the hum, but you did you hear the words? Did you hear them? They're always there, and it just carries it. Oh, it's 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 like when when Mitchell said this morning, you're gonna be singing this all day because we're leaving because you just know those songs that have an earworm stays in your head, and when it stays in here, so does the poetry. And because of that, it carries that truth with you everywhere you go, which it's amazing how little singing is in the New Testament, isn't it? You ever notice there's very little instruction about singing in the New Testament? I think they use the Psalms probably a lot. If there was anything they had copies of, it would be the Psalms, and they would sing those, and it would carry all sorts of things. So how we express ourselves matters. Singing has that distinct value. Meditation is this function. So is instruction. So you got Psalm 1, you got Psalm 19, and so we're going to end uh, looking at the Psalms that way. Psalm 19, um, great devotional. Macy, you hit it on the head. This was good. The first half, the Bible never tries to prove God's existence. It never says, well, here's how you know God's there. It just assumes you believe it. In the world in which scripture was written, they can't conceive of anybody believing there is no God. That's a uniquely modern phenomenon of dumb people. The, first, the two evidences of this is the world. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, is just the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Look up in the sky. You don't even need a preacher because it's preaching all the time. Day to day, it's pouring out speech, y'all. It's blabbing you to death about the, crea- the existence of God. The sun's telling you this. The breeze is telling you this. The clouds are telling you this. The mountains are telling you this. The dew is telling you this. Y'all, there's a God. And in case you missed it, night after night, all night, it's revealing knowledge, but it's doing it quietly because you're supposed to be asleep. So it's just revealing it. It's like a neon sign. It's not going to yell at you like it does in the daytime. It's respecting your privacy. But it's still telling you all night long. It's saying there's no speech. There's no words where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes to the whole earth all the time. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming from his... It's just talking about the creation. That's the reason why. And it, that's a beautiful psalm. But then he turns and says there's another reason because of Scripture. The world and then the word. The word of God. These two things are the greatest evidence of God. And he says, just try it. The law of the Lord's perfect, reviving the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Just give God a try. Just Just trust his word. And so these two things together form this amazing affirmation of the creator God. And you sing it. We don't sing like this ours is more like this it's more like um um i had it in my head all day and now i don't have it oh lord my god when i in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder or this is my father's world the birds their carols raise we sing this too, and sometimes that means more to us and goes straight to the heart for the believer as any other that we sing. So many songs are directly from the Psalms. 
It's an ancient songbook, and here's the thing. God's people have been singing these words for hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't know if uh, listening to ancient words, that song means much to you, ancient words long preserved for our walk in this world. But when I hear that, I'm like, man, these words are old, and they're ever true. So uh, if you look at Psalm 18, I'm going to mess this up, and so I'm going to rely on Mitchell or somebody else to finish this, because we have a couple of these. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the Lord, the God of my salvation, he is all The Lord liveth, and blessed be the Lord, the God of my salvation, he is There's been people in trouble for generations that picked up that line and trusted it when they most needed it. And we're just another generation and there's gonna be generations after us. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it and his hands formed the dry land. That's exactly word for word, Psalm 95. It's who he is. Here's one for you. You could start every day this way. This is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That's true of today. That's true of tomorrow. That was true 1,000 years ago when other believers sang that. If that doesn't do something to you. Okay, a couple more. <laughs> I'm butchering you all pieces. That's okay. I, I'm not supposed to be able to. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He's made you glad? He's made generations of people glad for what he's done for them. And when we sing that, we join with them and join with the saints in heaven, Hebrews tells us, and we sing that song. All right, here's a split one that's a danger, right? Psalm 25, every word of this song is in there. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul? Oh my God, I trust in thee, so that I may not be ashamed, but I am each time over me. I think the rest of it is terrible. But you keep going. 
heavy, remember not the sins of my youth. I Please God, let go of that, right? Generations before have said that, man, have I messed up. You ever felt that way? Don't remember the sins of my youth. Teach me thy way, thy way, O Lord. It's all in Psalm 25. One of the most beautiful ones won't even try is the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. The believers thought, you know, as these mountains, what made Jerusalem so impenetrable is those mountains around them. And man, we feel safe here, but it's more because you're protecting us. And so you sing, so mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. It's not because we have a mountain around us. It's because we have God around us. And the believers have felt that way for generations. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And there's just no better way to say it than to sing it like that with words that have been sung for generations. We have this blessed resource in our lives, and I'm saying to you, don't use them clean and sweet and kind. When you're angry, use them. When you're hurting, use them. When you're feeling this distance from God and you don't know why, you don't think it's sin that you've done, it's just for whatever reason, God is just kind of keeping a distance from you, at least seemingly. Sing the Psalms. It's what they're there for. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you give us a script to help us in times where we just have no words. We don't know how to describe how we feel. Sometimes it's a wonderful feeling of, of closeness to you. We feel your presence right there with us, and we want to be able to say thank you and sing out praise. And sometimes, Father, it just feels like you're so far away. Help us to never stop singing. Help us to never stop talking to you. Whatever is our plight, whatever is our lot, we'll just simply say, it's well with our soul, and we'll use a psalm. Thank you for providing them. Help us to know when to use them to help us best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.